few weeks. Have you enjoyed walking through the Word with us together this summer, if you've been here? Okay, a couple of us have. Cool. Well, I'm glad that you've liked the Word, because the Word is awesome. Uh, and so we've, we've, I've really had, I don't know about you, I've had a really good time as we've just unpacked and dug into uh, all that this text has to offer. And, and really, I feel like there, there are so many Sundays where I feel like, like we, I mean, it, it would have been the year-long scripture series if we had really just dug into it as much as I, I would have loved to. But uh, it's the summer scripture series, and summer is about over. So um, be sure to come back over the next few weeks and, and be with us as we finish Philemon. Uh, as we dig into that just for, just for the next two weeks. And then starting in September, we've got something really, really fun and exciting planned to kick off the new school year. So if we look at our text today, the final verses of the book of Colossians, uh, this, is, this is Paul signing off, right? He's finishing it all up. He's putting his stamp on it. He's, he's crossing the T's. He's dotting the I's. And he's, he's signing off. He's wrapping up. Having covered all the content that he was planning to cover, he only has to sign it now. But before he does, he wants to recognize a few people, all right? He wants to give some notice and some special attention to uh, a few people. You see, Paul had himself a village, all right? He had a tribe. He had a group of people that, that he loved and loved him, a group of people that he trusted and relied on. In short, Paul had a little help from his friends. So if you're taking notes this morning, you can jot this down as our title with a little help. From my friends. Sorry, I was thinking, I'm singing the song in my head. Anybody knows who, knows who sings that? Who doesn't? Man, that was quick. Good job. Uh, I was inspired by Adam's musical sermon title a few weeks ago uh, called Total Eclipse of the Heart. And that kind of inspired me this morning. Uh, let me, let, okay, let's see if we can date a few people in the house today. What show was this song on that brought it back to popularity in the late 80s, early 90s? Nobody? Wonder Years? Anybody remember? The, does anybody watch the show Wonder Years? Okay, there's a couple of hands. I grew up on Wonder Years. That was my jam. Gosh, and I, that song was so infectious. It got stuck in my head. Uh, that was the, that was the, the with, a little, with a little help from my friends, that was the, uh, the theme song as they played the opening credits uh, to the show. I thought at least like one or two people would get that, but I guess not. All right. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. We're going to read the word together in its entirety this morning, and then we're going to go back and talk about it because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of head scratching, a lot of confusion, a lot of what, and that's okay. Uh, we'll come back, and we're going to really just break it all down and talk about all of these names. Uh, so if, you, if you're following along in your Bible or your scripture journal, maybe you picked one of those up during the first couple of weeks, uh, as we go through here, just underline every name you see. Just go ahead and underline all the names. Uh, because it'll help you as we go back through this here in just a moment. All right, Tychicus, starting in verse 7. Tychicus, I will t Tychicus will tell all of you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is with you, uh, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. Starting, all right, now we're in verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom uh, you have received instructions, if he comes to you, 
welcome him, and Jesus, who is also called Justice. Uh, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha uh, in the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see to it that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, uh, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Finally, verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. God, we love you so much, and we're so thankful for your word. And I just pray that as we cover, as we try to get through some of this text this morning, as we talk about some of these people, um, and as we just discuss some of the ideas that you've laid on my heart, God, that you would speak, that it wouldn't be my voice that anyone hears, but it would be yours. And so we give you this time. We thank you for your word, and we pray that it moves and speaks mightily uh, on your behalf. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so this part of the Colossian letter uh, could honestly easily, like for most of us, it could, it, it could be easy to skip. If we're, if we're being real honest, like we get to this, and as soon as we get to Tychicus, all right, I'm checking out. I'm going to the next chapter. I'm going to go see what's coming up later. It, it's like reading like a foreign roll call, like we're, we, but we don't skip it. We don't skip it. Why? Because it's the word of God. It's in here for a reason. Almost every name listed represents an indispensable person to Paul. These were a few of the people that made his ministry possible, that they they made it possible for him to do what he did during his time in ministry. You know, Jesus always placed a great value on relationships. He, He spent so much of his time deepening his connections with a few significant people. He talked He taught by practice and precept the importance of befriending people and building relationships. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus is all about relationships. He's all about loving one another. He's all about building up those those friendships. And if you look at Scripture, Paul always had a ministry team. If you really think about it, all the places where Paul's talked about, all the places where he, he at, at Antioch, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And, and from that time, from that moment, uh, apart from just like a very short time in Athens when he was waiting for Silas and Timothy to, to come and join him from Thessalonica, Paul never ministered alone. He had a great heart for friends. He loved and responded to friendships. And so as he wraps up this letter to the Colossians, Paul's giving us a group picture He wants to kind of give you a a snapshot of his supporters during his Roman imprisonment. This list of names shows that the support of others is important in living out our faith. Deep and lasting friendships can be pivotal on our spiritual journeys, and many of you know that to be true. So let's talk about them, and let's see how this list of names applies to us. So we're just going to hit on a lot of these names. Number one, Tychicus. Look at your neighbor and say, Tychicus. There we go. Make sure. Now you, now you know a hard name. And, and so if you're looking for a baby name, if you're looking for a boy's name, you're welcome. Go for it. I will be super impressed if you could make that happen. Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. 
He's a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. His name means fortunate. Of course, we would think, well, yeah, he was fortunate to be associated with the Apostle Paul, but it was equally Paul who considered himself fortunate to have Tychicus as a friend. Right? Like, we, we don't really know much about him. He's only mentioned five times in the New Testament. Every time he's linked with Paul as a faithful servant. But although we don't know, like, a ton about him, we can draw some conclusions. Uh, first of all, Tychicus popped up at the end of Paul's missionary work in Ephesus. Uh, and, and, and so we assume and we, we feel like he is probably a native of Asia Minor. He joined Paul as he traveled through Greece on his third missionary journey. We read about this in Acts chapter 20. We think he was probably a convert as a result of Paul's missionary work in the area. So Paul went to Ephesus, and we think that that's, where, uh, that's actually where Tychicus was converted uh, to Christianity. He was probably with the apostle when the Ephesian silversmiths rioted against him, uh, if you remember this in Acts chapter 19. And when Paul was arrested, Tychicus stayed with him at Caesarea. Uh, he was with him on the voyage to Rome and subsequent shipwreck. And, and we see in this passage that he's with him while imprisoned in Rome as well, although he's not imprisoned right now himself. And I say all of this, I say all of that to, to say this. All of the things Paul went through, so did Tychicus. There could be a book written on his life and his journey and his difficulties. And, and because of this, Paul chose him to travel as his messenger back to the churches of Asia. He, he was given two charges. The first one was to, del- to deliver Paul's letters. Uh, he's delivering a couple letters, one to the Colossians. He's got to give one to them. That's the book that we've been, that we've been reading. Another to a slave owner in Colossae named Philemon. Um, and, and that's what we're going to read about in the next couple weeks. Another to Ephesus, Ephesians 6.21, says he's the one who brought the letter uh, to the church at Ephesus, and possibly a final one to the church at Laodicea. We read about that in verse 16 of our passage. It says, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see to it that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Now, we don't have a record of that letter, and so it's debated as to whether or not that, that was its own letter that's now just been lost to time, or whether that was actually like the same letter that was going to the Ephesians, and it was just, you know, sort of being passed around. Uh, it's, it's really no way of, of knowing that. But either way, Tychicus, who has been by Paul's side for so many years, enduring with him through thick and thin, all right, this, Tychicus was Paul's ride or die, you hear what I'm saying? Like, he, but even in light of all of that, if you really boil it down and, and you really strip everything away, he was really Paul's errand boy. He was his gopher. He was his errand, but he, he had to go and, and, and do, in fact, passages in Titus and 2 Timothy confirm that he performed this, this humble duty throughout Paul's life and ministry. Tychicus left no writings that survived. He did no feats that were thought worth documenting by Luke in the book of Acts. He was a common man doing a common job, but he had a big heart, and God used him in his master plan. Notice what Paul says about Tychicus to the Colossians. He calls him a beloved brother in verse 7. He had stuck with Paul like a brother. They labored together for four years. He was beloved by Paul and others in Rome. He was also, also a faithful minister. Our boy was reliable. He was loyal. He was there. He was always ready to do a job or run an errand. There is no hint of him being a great thinker or a great speaker, but only a servant, which is, I'll remind you, a title that was taken by Jesus himself. 
He never attained great prominence, but always did whatever needed to be done. Here it is, church. It's only heaven knows what great things could be done if God's people serve with no concern over who gets the credit. This is how he lived. It didn't matter that he wasn't getting the glory. It didn't matter that books weren't being written about about him. It didn't matter that pastors weren't coming from far away to come and hear him and sit under him and listen to him. He was serving God in the role that he had been given. And I wonder what would happen if God's people served in that way with no concern over who gets the credit. Finally, Paul describes Tychicus as a fellow servant in the Lord. Uh, Paul received invaluable service from this man, but he never forgot that he was ultimately the Lord's servant. Together, they were both subjected to the will of Christ. Paul didn't hesitate to put his servant on par with himself. Paul Paul is expressing in this moment and in 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 this phrasing, a fellow servant of the Lord, he's expressing equality amongst the two of them. He's putting them together on the same. It's almost like Paul is saying, don't think because I wrote the letter and Tychicus is delivering it that I am better than he. We are both servants of the Lord who has given us different tasks, called us to do different things. I'm not Tychicus's master, though he's serving me. I love the teamwork between these two because I think it gives us some great truths about finding fullness in service. The, the first thing that we can learn from Paul and Tychicus as well as some of, other, some of the other uh, of Paul's friends is there is greatness even in the smallest things done for Christ. There's greatness even in the smallest things done for Christ. Think about it. What would be the use of Paul's writing a letter if it did not get delivered? What would be the use of, of the towering, Christ-exalting thoughts in the opening chapters of this letter if no one ever got to read it? There's an old proverb that goes something like this. For the loss of a nail, lose a horseshoe. For the loss of a horseshoe, lose a horse. For the loss of a horse, lose a soldier. For the loss of a soldier, lose a battle. For the loss of a battle, lose a kingdom. There's the utmost value even in the seemingly smallest of roles. When we're doing it for Christ, there's a chance that God is going to use you to set something in motion, to be a part of the process, to be a part of something huge in a way that is indispensable to God's work. And for most of us, we'll never know how much until we get to heaven, and that's okay. Another thing that we learned from their relationship and, and a few mentions of Tychicus in the scriptures is that momentary, th- momentary things done for Christ are eternal. Momentary things done for Christ are eternal. They live on. The letters that Tychicus was carrying, for example, would outlast the Roman Empire. They, they, will outlast, they outlasted the British Empire. They're going to outlast... America, his name will be known to the end of time. And and here it is, church. The world may not see our part. In fact, the world honestly rarely does. But God does. And God says, I will never forget their works. I will never forget their works. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever felt like you're toiling in obscurity? Yeah, a couple honest hands. All right, everybody turn and look at your neighbor and say, nope. God's not like that. Like, I'm serious. God's not like that. 
He sees when you're serving him. God knows when you're giving it your best for his glory and not yours. He recognizes when you're gladly doing the seemingly small things. And guess what? He uses that for his kingdom growth. We don't always see it, but it's there. And let me just encourage you, if that's what you needed to keep going this morning in your family, in your job, in this church, if that's what you need to understand to keep going, I'll just pack this up and we can go right now. That's fine. But I need you to know that. I need you to understand that God sees you. God sees you. He sees what you're doing. You're not doing it in vain. The second person he brings up is Onesimus. That's another good name, Onesimus. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is uh, one of you, they will tell you of everything that's taken place here. Onesimus has belonged uh, to a wealthy slave owner in Colossae named Philemon. And I don't want to trample too much on the conversation for the next two weeks as we're going to be covering Paul's letter to Philemon. But Onesimus was once Philemon's slave. He ran away and then he came back after he came to Christ. He was now a part of Paul's ministry team uh, based on this text here. We, we see that, that he's now a part of Paul's ministry team. And Paul's vouching for him to the church at Colossae. So why did he have to vouch for him at the church uh, to the church at Colossae, because uh, the Colossian church, or, or at least this, this small home group that, that, that met at Philemon's house, the congregation had been deeply offended by Onesimus's running away. They considered it disobedience, they considered it disloyalty, they considered it sinful, and he compounded things by stealing some of Philemon's stuff as he left. And so as the story goes, and again, I'm trying to spare you the details uh, for another message, but he ran away, he came to Jesus, a life changed. From a godless slave that, that stole from his master, uh, now voluntarily entering back into the contract that he once had, abounding in love and joy. That's the difference that we're seeing in this man's life and in this man's heart. God is still, I want you to hear this, church, God is still in the life-changing business today. All right, he's still in the life-changing business today. Do you believe that? Because honestly, if you don't, I don't know what we're doing here. If you don't believe that, I don't know what we're doing here. We should just go ahead and like watch whatever's supposed to play on the screen in a little bit, I guess. Listen, I've seen God take a, a, a sleazy, lying young man and turn him into a, a spiritual leader in his home and in his church. I've seen a, a young woman lost in vanity and self-worship be transformed into a beautiful woman whose light shines only for Jesus. I, I've seen Christ take a man that was drowning in materialism and money, empty and rich, and fill him until he's overflowing. How does this happen? If you think all the way back to Colossians 2.9, you remember this from several, several weeks back, the beginning of the summer. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Their emptiness became an opportunity for his fullness. Their weakness for his strength. Their thirst for his filling. Their misery for his joy. Their meaninglessness for his purpose. That's what he did for Onesimus. And that's what God wants to do for you. You only have to let him in. God is still in the life-changing business. We see that with Onesimus, and I think we can see that in our world as well. So Paul told us about his first two friends, uh, one who's been by his side for at least the last four years, his, his ride or die. Then he mentions a guy that the church was already familiar with, but he wants to give him props. He wants to vouch for him. He wants to set him up for success. And now he's going to give us six quick names 
of people that he considers brothers in Christ and faithful servants of God. He's painting a picture of fellowship with these guys. That, that's a word that churches use a lot, I know. Fellowship. You've got fellowship dinners. You've got the fellowship hall. Let's get together in fellowship today. We've got that. We know that. That's a, that's a word. But you know what? That, that word fellowship, it's fine. Like, it's a good word. It's it's fine. I know we kind of balk at it, and you may want to use a different word, and you may want to call it something else. You might want to call it your, your crew. You might want to call it your squad. You might want to call it your village, whatever. But we need people to connect with on a deep level. When, when, when I came to Christ, I began to notice this odd uh, kinship with other believers. Sort of this, this weird I don't know, it was weird. I, I mean, I just began to understand that they are now my brothers and sisters. I began to understand, and, and it began to sink in, that, that we have the same father. We were saved by the same blood. We were bought with the same price. And there's a level of fellowship that, that we can have in the name of Jesus that we can't have with other people. The Bible calls it koinonia. It's fellowship. That's what the Bible calls it, fellowship. Let me ask it this way. Let's see if I can get you talking. You guys are, whew, all right. Football season's about to start. Who's excited about that? Man, you can't even, can't get excited about Jesus, can't get excited about football. We need some food in here. All right. Football season is about to start. Let me hear you who's excited about football season. It's okay. Okay. All right. So a lot of you are football fans. That's fine. Isn't there something, let me just, and, and you can apply this to any sport. It doesn't have to be football, but football is about to start. Isn't it something, whenever, you're, whenever you see just this, like, rando walking past you in the grocery store wearing your team's gear, like, you make eye contact, all right? You smile. You know what I'm talking about. You've been there. You know what's going on. You smile. You make eye contact. And, and, and it's like you know each other, but you don't. It's like you're connected, but you're really not. I, I know when I wear my, my Phillies uh, shirt or hat around town, um, Greenwood has a lot of retirees from up north, and, and maybe that's reflective of, of some of you in here. Uh, Greenwood has a lot of retirees from up north, and, and many of them, I guess, happen to be Phillies fans. And so I, I'll wear my stuff in, in Publix or in, or in, or in Lowe's or, or, or something, and, and, and we're walk, I'm walking by, and I see somebody, and they're like, hey, Go Phillies, and they're slapping high fives, and they're recalling the, the pitching mishap at the last game, which is just every game now. And, and, and they're making an assumption that I saw the game, and I, and I know, probably know what they're talking about. And so, and, and so we have this whole interaction, and, and we carry on this brief conversation like we're related, but we're not. Apply this to any fandom out there. I don't want to be sports exclusive. When you walk around with a Harry Potter shirt on, or when you walk around with a superhero shirt on, uh, then, then there's going to be people that are going to see you, and they're going to think, hey, that's my people. But it's kind of not. Like, here's the word. When you go to Star Wars, when you go to Star Wars movie premiere, it's another world. Uh, it's like your, it's, if, like your family, and like even though you haven't seen each other in a year or two years or however, or now that Disney has it, six months, I don't know, however, how quickly these movies are coming out, but but you haven't seen. I remember like the gap between you know uh, the 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 second trilogy and the third trilogy. That was a pretty big gap. But you come together and it's like you never left. It's like the force is literally connecting you together, but it's not. 
So not if you're with me. You know what I'm saying? If you understand that type of superficial, interest-related connection uh, that you have with people, now take into consideration this, that we are connected to each other through Christ. We are related through the Father, and we are brought together by a force called the Holy Spirit. We are in fellowship with one another, and that's partly why the church exists, to bring us together and unite us under the banner of Jesus Christ. So Paul's talking about his fellowship of believers in these these passages, in in these scriptures. He's talking about his fellowship of the ring. It's a delayed laugh. Some of you got it. That's okay. He names off six people, all right? And we're going to go through these real quickly. He names off six people. Three were Jews and three were Gentiles. The three Jews were um, Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus called Justice. Uh, And he says this about them in verse 11. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Uh, So these are the Jews. And then he gives us three Gentiles. They're Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. Uh, This was Paul showing diversity. Even though there had been years and years of animosity between the two groups, they are united with Paul for Jesus. This is the intent of Jesus' gospels, to cross forbidden lines and bring people together under one banner. Paul shows it with his group of friends, different backgrounds, different cultures, different nationalities, different ethnicities. Let that be a lesson to us. This is the standard, not years of cultural norms in the church south. I'll leave that there. Let me touch quickly on each of these, each of these people. Uh, number three, Aristarchus. We only get a few glimpses of him, but we learn that he was with Paul in his times of crisis, uh, kind of like Tychicus. He was there when the people of Ephesus rioted. Uh, he was seized by the mob when, when Paul was the target. Uh, when Paul was released from uh, the Caesarean prison to sell to Rome and, and appeal to Caesar, Aristarchus got on the boat and sailed with him. He probably even enlisted himself as Paul's slave so he could travel with him. Um, and now he is in Rome. He's Paul's fellow prisoner, Scripture says. He committed no crime. He just hung around with a prisoner. Um, some can't, here's, here's what I think we can see. We don't know much about him, but here's what I think we can see. Some, some can't lead a meeting. They can't sing. They can't preach. But they are beloved because they are burden bearers. They care and they just keep on loving and giving themselves. They are effective in Christ's work because they are always there when needed most. I think we can see that with Aristarchus. Number four, Mark. You might remember this guy from Acts, but this is the same Mark that disgraced himself some 12 or so years earlier uh, by deserting Paul. He started off enthusiastically, but blew it and washed out. And Paul was so upset with him that he broke off his partnership with Barnabas rather than restore Mark to the team. But God still used Mark. A great change took place in his commitment. Some people, um, there were some people that, that kind of loved to hold his earlier failures over his head, but Paul recognized the change and he welcomed Mark's ministry. And here he tells the Colossians to also welcome him, bring him in, welcome him, do not hold his past against him. And, and here's what we see with this, and I just want to give you something real quick between, with their relationship. There was no way that, that two men who both loved God and were walking in fellowship with him could not have fellowship with one another. This is what true fellowship brings, church. If two believers cannot be reconciled, then either both or one is not in fellowship with God. So let me ask you this. Let me just give you a little bit of practical application. Is there somebody you won't forgive? Is there someone that you won't forgive even though they have humbly approached you and asked for forgiveness? If so, you need 
the fullness of Christ. Because, church, if you are full of him, you will forgive like him. Paul redeemed Mark's reputation. In fact, from Paul's final imprisonment in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, go get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me and my ministry. So he's validating him and he's lifting him up. He's giving him props. Number five, Jesus called Justice. How would you like to be named Jesus during this time? That's a difficult name to live up to. Uh, so he's also called Justice. He kind of just uh, was I'm Jesus, but I'm also going to be called Justice because that's going to be easier for me. Um, not much is known about him. He's likely a Roman Jew. He's not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture, but he gets a shout-out right here. And this one verse witnesses eternally to the fact that God uses faithful people whether they achieve star status or not. Amen? All right. Number six, Epaphras. We covered Epaphras at length in the first weeks of the series. It's because of Epaphras that this letter even was written. He went to Paul, and he told Paul about this new church in Colossae. Paul takes this moment to honor him. <clears throat> as a brother in the faith and a co-laborer in Christ. He wants to give him props. He wants to honor him because he knows that the church that this guy pastors is going to be reading this letter. And so he lets the church know that they have a good pastor, a pastor that cares, a pastor that prays with passion and deep concern for them. Epaphras takes on the burdens of others. This is a great friend to have and a great friend to be. And let me just say this. <clears throat> I strive to be a pastor like Epaphras. I think about what he did. He left his church, and, he, and, and at this time, he didn't have, I mean, there's no phones, there's no email, there's, you know, he, he, can't, he can't just call up somebody who's going to give him spiritual guidance. He had to go find the person, and so he went to the person that he felt like had the most spiritual guidance to give, and he wanted to be discipled by that person. And he wanted that person to speak love and truth into his life and into the life of his church. And so he went out, and I strive to be like Epaphras. And so no, I want you to know that when I say that I'm praying for you, I am stopping to pray for you in that moment. And I, I want you to know that I pray for each of you throughout the week, both generally as a church and specifically individually as I know the needs. Your burden is my burden. Your pain is my pain. Your joy is my joy. And I think our elders would echo that sentiment as well. Number seven, Luke. Luke was a beloved physician. Paul became very sick on his first missionary journey, so he added a doctor to the team. Go, go, Paul. Way to look, look ahead and uh, take care of that. So he, he added this doctor. Um, Luke uh, used his specialized training, but he also added a new dimension to ministry. He wrote two major books of the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, and the only, he's the only Gentile writer of any of the books of the New Testament. Why are we hitting all these names? Because they are in the text, and God wanted them to be honored, which brings us to the last one, Demas. Demas is the only one of Paul's friends who does not receive a special commendation. If you look back through this, Every single person, he said something about them. Even, even Luke, even though he mentioned Luke in passing in this verse, he said, he said, my beloved, right? He, called, he, gave him, he gave him a commendation. He didn't give Demas anything. He just mentioned him. It's likely that Paul was already concerned about Demas' loyalty. So he doesn't really give him any props here. But he does mention him by name. Maybe it was to encourage him. Maybe it was to hopefully strengthen him and, and, and affirm him. But soon he's going to desert Paul and the faith. Uh, Paul, actually, in his last imprisonment in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he, he says this about Demas. He says, uh, in, he's in love with this present world, has deserted me, and gone to Thessalonica. 
Paul also mentions two more people real quick before uh, closing out the letter. He brings up Nympha, who, again, we don't know much about. She's one of the many women mentioned in the New Testament who made significant contributions to the early, early church. It appears as though she made her home available for a house church. Shout out to the Evans that did that for Legacy City for six months. Uh, Paul's honoring, so I'm going to throw that in there as well. Uh, finally, Archippus, not much mentioned about him either, although he is uh, one of the recipients of the letter of Philemon, which, again, we'll, we'll cover next week. Either way, he's also a minister in the area, and Paul does well not to leave him out. Here's the thing. Paul couldn't do anything that he did without the fellowship around him. He couldn't do any of this. We read through all of Colossians. Many of you have read through other, other books of the New Testament. He, he, he couldn't do this without the help of his friends. He couldn't pastor churches without people willing to run correspondence. He couldn't meet new congregations without pastors coming to him. He couldn't go on missionary journeys without co-laborers. He's publicly affirming these people, encouraging them in their efforts. So let me ask you this. Do you have friendships that you continually confirm and encourage in their calling? Are you encouraging people in their callings? Are you encouraging those who serve and, and lead in our church? You know, we often think that people serving us in leadership don't need encouragement, but the reality is, is that they do. And I'm not saying this for me. I'm talking about elders, staff, missional community leaders. They face the brunt of many attacks in the church, both from within and from without. Satan always works to discourage our leaders and their families. Therefore, we need to find ways to encourage them. Listen to what Paul says to the Galatian church. He says, anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Paul says, if we receive the word of God from somebody, we should share all good things with our instructor. This is not just talking about supporting pastors financially, which is what I've heard people try to use this verse as, but in many different ways. That's why it says all good things. Those who serve us need encouraging words. They need prayer. They need help with their families. They need time to get away. They need to know that they are loved. Paul, as one who understands the difficulties of ministry, he speaks here at the end to Archippus and encourages him not to quit and to finish the ministry that God's called him to. Are you encouraging your friends in their calling and ministry? Because this is what gospel-centered friendships do. This is what the people did for Paul and what he's doing for them. He signs off the letter, verse 18. And we're done. He's, he signs off the letter. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Whether he wrote it or dictated it, you know, at the very beginning we said it's unsure whether he actually wrote it or if he just dictated it and, 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 and Timothy or somebody else wrote it down. Whether he did that or not, uh, the thought is, is that he took the pen for this part. He may have dictated the rest, but he took the pen and he wrote it with his own hand. And he says this. He says, remember my chains. Listen, he was in jail he, he was, he was, he was, he was under house arrest at best, in prison at worst during this time. We know that he was incarcerated at this point. But no cage, no bars on this earth could keep his heart from Christ. He had been through a lot, but he knew the joy set before him. And then he gives us the final apostolic benediction, grace be with you. This is a Pauline trademark to be sure. This is, this is clearly just a, a Paul's way of signing off. One last communication. He wants to communicate. There's so much to be communicated here and we don't have time to go into it. He wants to communicate right here, right now with that one phrase, grace be with you, how sinful and how the sinful, needy world needs the grace of God. So we covered a lot of ground in this short amount of time today. 
we covered a lot of ground in, in, in the course of the summer going through Colossians, and we have a few more weeks to go with Philemon. But I want to encourage you, who, who, are your, who are your friends? Who are you surrounding yourself with? Can you call them out like Paul called them out? Can you lift them up like Paul lift them up? Or are your comments about them less than positive? We need to have people around us like Paul had these people around us. We need to allow other people into our lives like Paul allowed people into his life. He sets just such a beautiful and wonderful example for Christian koinonia, Christian fellowship. So let me pray for us. God, we love you so much, and we're so thankful for your son. We're so thankful for Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we're so thankful for Paul and his ministry. Um, everything that he did, Lord, how he, how he suffered for you, how he uh, gave, his, uh, you know, gave his time and gave his life to your ministry and to your cause. And, and Lord, I just thank you that you brought people into his life that he could call out so that we can talk about it right here, right now in 2019. And we can talk about how important it is to have brothers and sisters in Christ around us. People of faith that will speak into our life with love and that we can speak back into theirs. A fellowship, a, a brotherhood, a sisterhood. And I pray that if there's anyone in this room that doesn't have that, that they would search, they would seek, and that they would find it in this place here today. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray.